Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Now, here is a motion picture film. Showtime! To do the bimes. Say hello to my little friend! Go ahead. Make my day. Come quietly or there will be trouble. I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. Inconceivable! Welcome to the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm sorry, boys. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome back to the All-American Spook Show. I'm Josh, I'm joined here with Will. Hey, hey, hey. Donnie and the Professor Smoke, both uh, out doing other things. I mean, we are around the holidays, so it's probably going to, some people are probably going to be coming in, in the front, out the back door, sliding out the side window and everything over the next month or so, you know, basically to the end of the year, because lots of stuff going on, so uh, we can't fault them for that. But it's really, it's their loss, I think, because this week we're, we're doing our latest Cult Corner, and we all nominated a movie, and we spun the wheel. And it landed on UHF. Now, this ironically, this was Donnie's selection, and he's not here for it. So, like I said, that that's their loss. But man, I th- this was one of those movies I kind of grew up on. You know, like uh, this came out. Uh, when did this come out? Eighty nine. So July twenty first of eighty nine. So I had just turned nine years old, like a month prior to this. So now I didn't see it in the theater or anything like that. But like I probably watched this a shit ton. Once it hit video and like regular TV and stuff a year or so later, right? Oh, yeah, same here. I mean, watch this like all the time. Uh, you know, we were right in that like perfect age of like Weird Al yeah. um, kind of cult. And and this one, especially too, did become a cult hit later on. And we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. But this wasn't one that was extremely successful and then, you know, was a beloved classic or anything. This truly is a, a good cult corner selection because it did see a better life later on down the road, but we'll get a little bit further into that here in just a second. But, um, before we dig in, I want to toss out the usual information. We want to encourage you to visit aaspookshow.com. We call that the center of the spook show universe. From there, you can listen to all of our past podcast archives now up to 187 past episodes and a handful of bonus stuff. That's all there. Plus all of our YouTube series We're there. We have video vortex, grindhouse gutter, and Hammer Horror in Order, those can all be found there. Uh, also, uh, we encourage you from there or independently, check out our Patreon and become a patron. Patreon.com slash Show. Every month you get a video mini-sode, including the Library of the Professor. Every month you get a Crapster Piece Theater episode towards the end of the month. And uh, what are we... I'm blanking on what we're flushing this month. Oh, we just, we just had Leonard Part 6. I forgot. That's how quick I put these damn things out of my mind. That one literally just came out over on our Patreon. So if you want to hear us have to suffer through the Bill Cosby classic, Leonard Part 6, 
that is available as we speak. And um, the polls and, and the polls, the polls for this month, <laughs> I'm thinking of a whole different Leonard. And that's, that's more of an inside joke when you just said that <laughs> <laughs> the guy we used to work with years ago. Um, anyways, uh, the current poll for this month is live right now. You've got until this Thursday night at midnight to vote. And let's see, these are all our Christmas selections. So this will be what we watch for Crapster Piece number 22, which comes out right after Christmas, ironically, December 29th. One of the last things we'll do this year <laughs> will be this this turd. And these are your selections. Like I said, you have until November 30th, this Thursday night at midnight to uh, cast your vote. And you can do that on any of our socials and on Twitter and everything else. Even on Patreon, you can do it. We have Santa with Muscles, that Hulk Hogan classic. From 1996, we've got the mean one from 20, from just last year. It looks like a Grinch horror movie, I guess. Uh, another steaming turd, Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas from 2014. The cl- the cult classic Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from 1964, and Santa Claus, like Claus C L A W S from 1996. So those well, I see are, what they did there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's real, real crafty, real deep writing going on there. So if any of those float your boat, go vote as often as you want, and we encourage you to. Also, um, we have a, a contest going on right now over on our socials. If you'll go find the post, um, which should be pretty easy to find on all of our socials, Facebook, X, uh, Instagram, all that jazz, Slasher. Essentially, what we're doing on Christmas Day is we're going to have a viewer's choice episode and this is going to allow you, the listener, to be a guest on the show. Not only do you get to pick the movie, but if you want to, you can come on the show and have fun talking about that movie with us. And it's going to be our Christmas Day episode. So this will be for uh, episode 192 that comes out on Christmas Day, December 25th. And all you have to do is go like and share the post over on our socials, and you'll be entered to win. Now, you only have, though until November 29th, that's this Wednesday night at midnight, to uh, go like and share that, and, f- and of course, follow us on all of our socials and everything. We'll throw the name in the hat, and whoever wins gets to come on the show if they choose, but at the least, you get to pick the Christmas horror movie that we're going to be talking about on Christmas Day. So if you've ever wanted to be on the Spook Show, or have a few words for Willie or any of us, this is your opportunity. So we encourage you to go Hunt down our socials. You've got to Wednesday night at midnight, November 29th, to uh, like and share that particular post. So, uh, without single me out. I mean, look, most people can't afford that highest level of Patreon where it's like, you know, Willie will come to your house and make you sandwiches. So, this is an easy way. Yeah, this is an easy way for, uh, you know, people to say what they really want to say about you and, of course, us, but specifically about you. So, I really got to go check out this uh, Patreon page. I wouldn't worry about it, but I would worry about it. If you're a listener, go check out patreon.com slash AA spook show. All right. That's enough. All right. So we'll, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for UHF. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Guns don't kill people. I do. Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. Ah! A man of courage. A man of vision. What's your name? Billy. Billy what? 
What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air. Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George? How would you like your own TV show? Okay. You get the drink from the fire hose! Okay, you ready? Yeah! Open wide! He's Conan, the librarian. Today, we're teaching poodles how to fly. We beat up the networks. George Newman, he starts where the others stop. We're the number one station in town. Orion Pictures presents Weird Al Yankovic in UHF, the movie. All right, there you go. That's that. So, like, this one right here, like I said off the top, like, this was one of those movies that, like, oh, shit, it's Weird Al. I've got to see this. And, man, it seems like it must have played nonstop on, like, you know, one of the movie channels, HBO Cinemax Showtime. I don't know which one. Uh, but definitely like on, uh, I want to say like the local TV channels or something, but, and it, it couldn't have been long after this came out. You know, I'm talking 90, 91, 92, because I remember being pretty young and watching this over and over again. And I don't think I had a copy of it on tape or anything. So either we were renting the hell out of it or it just got played a lot. Cause I remember watching I think it got a played a lot. I have a gut feeling this was on HBO, just like on that loop in the middle of the day. Yeah. Along with like weekend at Bernie's and, uh, uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise or something. It was just a <laughs> that usual block on HBO. But however it played, this one got played quite a bit. Like if I if I would see any part of this, I would stop and I would watch, you know, when I was when I was younger. So this is one that I used to love. I guess the the really the question here that we'll we'll try to answer throughout here is whether it holds up or not as far as is it still as good as, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old Willie like liked it or you know <laughs> i guess we'll we'll see where it lands in that regard but but well i will say this i actually watched this with my kids okay what did they think of it they really enjoyed it oh that's that's cool yeah yeah, yeah they were they were like you know like fully invested and you know when that when the end came you know the the good old happy ending yeah. uh, <laughs> the only thing that kind of freaked them out was the uh 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 the the emo phillips no, 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 not Emo Phillips, but uh, the the guy that uh, that was the alien. Oh yeah, <laughs> and when he turned into the alien, yeah, they kind of slid in <laughs> right like there a, at the end. Kind of slid in like a backdoor large Marge moment there, didn't it? Uh, yeah, kind of like yeah. Blah, blah, blah. whoa, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the funny thing is, it has been a long like like I said, I've seen this a thousand times, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. It's one of those mm-hmm. movies where like, yeah, I've seen it so many times, I didn't feel the need to go back and watch it like in the last twenty years. You know, I'd kind of forgot about that. You know, forgot about that yeah. plot point with him and everything. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that. Now I remember. That's weird. Everything about this is weird. This is definitely a weird one. That That's for sure. If you've never seen oh, UHF, if you've never seen UHF, honestly, we I think we both at least encourage you to go check it out for yourself. Um, and if you haven't, I would suggest now that uh, to tell you that we are a spoiler-filled podcast. So pretty much from this point forward, whenever we're talking about it, we're going to be spoiling certain things. So... You know, not that this is a deep plot or anything like that, but if you want to watch it for yourself, spoiler free, pause this, go check it out, and then come back and listen to the rest of this. This movie was written by partially by Weird Al himself, Weird Al Yankovic, who is, you know, I guess we should explain Weird Al as best we can. He's a, a music parody guy, right? Like, to put it simply, 
he is a guy like for the last 40 something years, 40, 40 years or so, give or take. Actually, it's probably been longer than 40 years now. Cause I think it was like the late seventies. Uh, essentially he takes modern pop songs and he makes like silly versions of those songs. Like Michael Jackson's eat it. Or no, no, I see I'm getting, mixed, I'm getting mixed up already. <laughs> Michael Jackson's beat it. He did a version called eat it where he's eating food and stuff. Right. Like, so I would imagine anybody listening to this, should know who the hell weird Al is. And most people do. It's like, you just say the name and you know, that name now it's synonymous with silliness, you know, but at this point in time though, in 1989, he was at the height of his powers, but honestly starting to come down after this, like, and frankly, you could probably blame this movie for it. <laughs> there was literally, I think he had about a three or four year lull and, you know, just career wide after this movie until, uh, his next album came out, which I, I don't remember, uh, chronologically, which one that was. I think it was the one that looked like Jurassic Park on the front of it. Uh, apparently that one came out and kind of like rejuvenated his career, you know, and he was able to do everything that he's done since then. But basically because of this movie and because he hadn't released any new stuff for a little while there, he had kind of seen a little bit of a downward trend, you know, because this was such a failure. And we'll get. And I'm it. sure you know, like, like there's a lot of work that goes into making a movie. So, uh, probably the, the fact that this kind of flopped and just uh, all the work that went into it, I'm, I'm sure he just wanted to step away for a bit. Yeah, I'm sure that probably played a part too. But uh, I guess we'll go ahead and dip into some of the background information. I found two alternate titles, but really they're kind of the same. The main one was, and this was actually a working title, and and I'm not sure if it ever got released anywhere with this title, but this was the original title, then they ended up shortening it to UHF, was The Vidiot from UHF. And then, at least in India, and I think some other countries, it did get released as The Vidiot. Apparently, that was because UHF. Now, exactly what that is. Now, today's day and age, you and I, you know, we grew up with that. And we know what that is. But today's day and age, you're like, what the fuck is UHF? Well, it stands for ultra high frequency. It was an analog TV broadcasting band. So essentially back in the days, kids, you had, what What was it? Uh, channel like one or basically like zero through nine. Two right? through yeah. like 13 or something yeah, yeah, like okay, that. Thir- yeah, I think it was around 12 or 13. You had two dials on a TV. The top ones were VHF. Those were like the prime time channels wherever you live. Those were like... CBS, probably NBC or ABC, maybe PBS or something, you know, the strongest broadcast signals that you had in your local market at, you know, during that time period were probably on the top of the dial VHF on the bottom of the dial were all the other channels. They were lower signal channels and they were called UHF. So it was like say channel 13 or 14, all the way up to what probably roughly around 50 or 60, something like that, whatever the numbering was somewhere in there. Yeah. And those were always the cheap ass low budget TV stations. Essentially. Those were the ones that their frequency wasn't as uh, strong. So they didn't reach as many households in the market. And you usually got not to this extreme, right? Like I, I don't remember ever seeing anything quite like this, of course, but you would see stuff similar to this on UHF channels because it was just low budget stuff. So that's essentially what yeah, a little bit more public access on those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a step above, but it was still extremely local. You know, you had local celebrities, so to speak, you know, uh, maybe they had news probably didn't, you know, and they rebroadcast a lot of reruns of old shows. Kind of like you see in this movie where like he walks in and they're playing reruns of Mr. Ed. That's what UHF stations would do. They just play old reruns of shit from the fifties and sixties. 
you know, and this is in the eighties. So that's kind of what it was in game shows and just the cheapest stuff, you know, just to kind of stay on air. Um, so that's essentially what this was. So getting back to the, the names there and other countries, they didn't have this, or if they did, they called it something else. So there was that confusion in the market, so to speak of like, well, this movie called UHF, what the hell is that? What does that mean? You know, to some other country, they don't know what that is. So I think that's why it got released in some other places as the video from UHF or just the video. Now, apparently I saw something <clears throat> weird. Al didn't like that. Like he wanted it to be called UHF everywhere, but then, then I guess they had to explain to him like, look, you know, these people wouldn't understand what the hell they're looking at here if we don't do it this way. So I guess they just kind of came to some compromise and called it that. But I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. And there is that side of it yeah. too. Like you're so far removed from this stuff. Now there's, there's literally a whole generation. Like our kids wouldn't have any idea, you right. know, like you said, you showed your kids. Did you, did you feel the need to explain to them what UHF oh, was? Or? No. Yeah. No. Not that they care at their age, but maybe one of these days. <laughs> I mean, honestly for them at this point, it's just like, Hey, he's got a TV station. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's simple enough, you know, but, but anyways, yeah. So th- those were the alternate titles and this was released July 21st, 1989 produced by Cinecorp and distributed by Orion Pictures, rated PG-13, total runtime of one hour and 37 minutes, so it's right in that usual wheelhouse. On IMDb, it's listed as a comedy slash sci-fi. This movie was filmed in mostly in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think there were some other pickup shots, reshoots, whatever, some other various things in Los Angeles. But most of this was shot in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, which I, I thought that was a very random, weird owl thing to do. (laughs) <laughs> in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I, I'd seen something where it came from some other movie. I, I think it was the movie, the outsiders, or maybe the producers had worked on that there. And then they decided like, yeah, you know, this, this, uh, this area in Tulsa is actually pretty good because we can do the movie cheap. And, uh, you know, they got some good locations and stuff like that. So I think that's why they landed there, but, um, they filmed it from July 18th to sometime in September of 1988 for a budget of just $5 million. And that was a big part of this movie getting made period was the fact that this had to be at or below 5 million. Like that was the only way that these people were going to get involved with this thing is if they can make it as cheaply as possible. So it only went on to gross worldwide after the dust had settled $6.1 million. So needless to say, not a success at all in theaters. As always though, I've got the top 10 from that particular weekend. So this is the top 10 from July 21st through the 23rd of 1989. And man, this is, you'll see why this movie did not do well. It came, in its opening weekend, it came in 11th to start with only $2.2 million. So starting off on the wrong foot, but you'll see why now. Number 10, Weekend at Bernie's was in its third week. Number nine, Ghostbusters 2 was in its sixth week. Number eight. Never heard of it. <laughs> little low budget flicks. Number eight, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was in its ninth week, so it had been raking all summer. <laughs> Number seven, Dead Poets Society was in its eighth week. Number six, uh, the 1989 re-release of the Disney animated feature Peter Pan. And, you know, who cares about a re-release? But that's what Disney used to do back then was they would re-release their classics because home video, yeah, it was a thing by even by this point, but probably not a lot of people owned a copy of Peter Pan. So they'd make a lot of money just re-releasing the movies, you know? So that was raking in number five license to kill, which I believe was a, a James Bond flick. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. That was a James Bond flick. That was in its second week. Number four, honey, I shrunk the kids was in its fifth week of rolling up. 
Number three, when Harry met Sally, was in its second week. Number two, in its fifth week, Batman, Michael Keaton, Tim Burton classic. That was in its fifth week, and it already already knocking on two hundred million. And then number one, in its third week, mind you, Lethal Weapon two was raking in. So you can see there was some stiff fucking middle of the summer tentpole type hardcore blockbuster releases. And then they, they decided to throw UHF out there in the middle of this. <laughs> and it also, you know, like makes it a little bit funnier when you know that, uh, Indiana Jones is out during this and he did like a little spoof. Yeah. Uh, real on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's the first five minutes or so of the movie, right? It's just a yeah. straight spoof. Now that is ironic considering that's, that's weird out for you. You know, that's kind of his thing is that, but it is ironic that the latest, and I have no idea if they had any knowledge that that movie would be playing at the same time or not, but that is ironic. Um, but yeah, you can see why this movie did not do well in the box office. Uh, but it did have, I, I never got any numbers beyond that, you know, as far as like what it did on VHS or anything, but I did see in the, in the later years after that, um, it did become a cult classic. And uh, apparently the VHS was hard to find even not long after it came out. It was a hard to find title. And I think be- kind of because of that and just the fact that it was weird out and it's kind of that niche weird thing, it kind of became a hard movie to find, you know, so it, it did a lot on rentals and then eventually like, you know, I-, I guess people were able to purchase it on VHS and then, you know, eventually it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray many years later. But, um, yeah, it did have a much longer, better life well after its theatrical run there in 1989. Which is where we would have seen it a thousand times, right? Right. It was directed and written or co-wrote by Jay Levy, who is Weird Al's manager and hadn't really done much else other than Weird Al stuff. You know, matter of fact, uh, if you want to see what he looks like, he's the dude that plays Gandhi in Gandhi 2. That little, that little Gandhi 2 trailer, <laughs> random, that's him. Um, but he did co-write the screenplay with this. He he directed it and everything. But I I, I thought that's hilarious that he got his manager to direct <laughs> his movie, but apparently I think he had directed a lot of the, his music videos and stuff too. So clearly the dude has some talent, you know, it's not just nepotism kind of thing because he's my manager. Like the dude's pretty good at, you know, that kind of thing. It was produced by Gene Kirkwood who, <laughs> this is hilarious. He had worked on Rocky and get rich or die trying that, uh, 50 cent movie. But I just found it hilarious yeah. that like that guy did UHF, right? <laughs> <laughs> and John W. Hyde, who had done the happy time murders and the final countdown, that classic from the early eighties. It stars, of course, weird Al Yankovic as George Newman, um, who we've explained who he is. And he, you might also remember his face from all three random parts and all three naked gun movies. Uh, randomly, I'd forgotten this until I was looking at like what else he had done. He had a small role in Rob zombies, Halloween too. I have to go back and watch that just to even remember that. But apparently weird Al's in there. I don't huh. remember what he did. Um, Victoria Jackson plays the role of Terry. You may remember her best from her days on Saturday night live, like pretty much what all through the late eighties into the early nineties, she was on Saturday night live and that's his uh, girlfriend in the movie, by the way. And she was also in that, uh, the Corey, one of the Corey's movies, dream a little dream. She was in that, uh, Kevin McCarthy is RJ Fletcher. He's the, uh, the asshole that, you know, runs the, the rival station channel eight or whatever it was. Uh, he would best be known from uh, two, at least two different versions of Invasions of the Body Snatchers and the movie Inner Space. One of our, uh, I'm sure that's a movie that will 
land here on Colt Corner. I can't wait to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, he passed away back in September of 2010 at the age of 96. But like, yeah, th- this was kind of what the dude was, especially in his later years. He was just kind of professional asshole, right? Like, he's in a ton of these <laughs> these type of movies just as kind of a jerky old asshole, and he played the he played the part well. Speaking of assholes, Michael Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Richards is in this as Stanley Spadowski. Now, of course, you wouldn't best know him from his role as Kramer on Seinfeld. He was also on a sketch show back in the early eighties called Fridays, which was like basically a, a Saturday night live ripoff sketch show. Um, that basically is how he got this role because I think they had made this right before Seinfeld had started. So that's how he basically got this role is that they liked his work on Fridays from back in the early eighties. And, uh, they got him in, he was also in the movie problem child too. You might remember him from that, but, or you might remember from his horrible racist rant that he had at a stand-up <laughs> at a stand-up show that I don't think he ever really really was able to shake. Right? Oh like, no, no. I think I think that was the end. Yeah. Luckily, I guess for him, he had already had a pretty good uh, pretty good run <laughs> before that happened <laughs> because that was pretty much it. I think he has done a few things like random episodes of like Kirby Enthusiasm and stuff like that in the time since, but. Yeah, for the most part, he's been persona non grata ever since that happened. And there's tons of other like character actors in this movie, um, like Getty Watanabe, Billy Barty, you know the the uh, the short person that plays. You know, he's Noodles in this movie. But remember, he was Gwildor in a <laughs> Masters of the Universe. Billy Barty was in a ton of shit, right? Uh, Fran Drescher, she was uh, Pamela Finkelstein, who uh, is basically their secretary, right? It's a fairly small role, still recognizable face. Um, you, you will definitely love this one. The guy that played Richard Fletcher was John Paragon. Richard Fletcher is what was the lead guy's name? J.R. Fletcher, the the bad guy, RJ Fletcher. Sorry. Right. That mm-hmm. the old guy, right? The dude that played his son, kind of the, the sniveling kind mm-hmm. of a dickhead son, right? That's John Paragon. You may also remember John Paragon best. Is playing the tall frog in a. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! No. Yep. That's him, the Frog Prince, motherfucker. So, are we? Are we like? Are we doing like the uh, the the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, uh, except with the podcast now? Now all of a sudden, this is going to be like, how many ways can we connect to the tall frog? <laughs> That's going to be. Jesus. We're replacing Crip connections. So Donnie, if you're listening, take note. Now you're gonna have to connect everything to John Paragon and the Frog Prince. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tap on out. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got the rest of this by yourself. Yeah. Damn it. Damn you, tall frog! You did it again. Um, <laughs> Trinidad Silva plays Raúl Hernandez. Now it's a really small role. Remember, like the guy that has all the animals in his house. It's like the Wild Kingdom of of uh, Raúl or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. It's kind of silly, right? Well, apparently that dude had been in a, a bunch of random stuff in the, you know, back in the day or whatever, but apparently he passed away literally right before they even finished shooting this. He was, he was supposed to be a part of the big finish scene, you know, where everybody's there at the, at the station, the big celebration and everything, but he passed away in a, a car accident before. Oh, wow. So he wasn't able to, they, they didn't, they decided not to replace him or they just kind of wrote it out like that, you know. They just took him away. Like they didn't want to replace him or anything like that. So 
And then they dedicated the movie to him. So if you see that anywhere in the credits, which I didn't catch it, but apparently they did dedicate the movie to uh, Trinidad Silva. It's small roles and stuff, you know, like it's, he, he did have a fairly big role in that series back in the 80s, Hill Street Blues. He was in The Jerk, lots of other stuff. But yeah, unfortunately, he passed in 1988. So right before they'd even finished shooting this thing. So that's why he never pops back up. It was kind of a weird character anyways, right? But, but then again, everything in this movie is fucking weird. I, I hate to keep saying that, but very, <laughs> very weird. Um, but really, I mean, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up before we dive into it? No, the only like really random thing, this would have been hilarious if this would actually happen. But uh, apparently uh, Sylvester Stallone was actually supposed to be in the movie. <laughs> he was supposed to do a cameo as a helicopter booth worker mm-hmm. in the Rambo scene. Mm-hmm. But the only reason he couldn't do it is because uh, he had a schedule issue. Wow. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to throw, you know, <laughs> essentially Rambo in there with him. That would be hilarious. Yeah, there were some like alternate casting things that I saw. Uh, Victoria Jackson's part, you know, his girlfriend, Terry. Uh, they mm-hmm. actually had auditioned Jennifer Tilly and Ellen DeGeneres for that part. But. They, they, you know, just decided on Victoria Jackson, her, her soft demeanor or whatever would be better for the role. So that's why they, uh, chose her. And also the lead asshole, Kevin McCarthy, who was RJ Fletcher, he, or that role, I should say, um, they had talked about wanting to be Leslie Nielsen, but they just found that like he had more of a, uh, you know, the added more gravity to the role. You know, I guess Leslie Nielsen would have yeah. been seen more funny, you know, so. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think they made the right choice. It seems like I'd, I, I was like, oh, uh, Philo, right? The so the weird science, mad scientist dude that does all the background shit for him, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, and this would have been fucking perfect casting, but apparently he just didn't he didn't feel like he was ready to do it. Joel Hodgson, who was the mastermind, or I guess even to this day is still the mastermind and the founder of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the original host of MST three K. They wanted him to do that role, but apparently at that point, you know, he was just a stand-up guy and he just didn't feel like he was a good enough actor to do it. So they actually had, re- before they landed on the guy, um, who got the role, they actually reached out to Crispin Glover. Remember the guy that played mm, Marty's yeah. dad and Mar- yeah, they wanted him to do it, but there was some weird reason that he, it, it said in the thing that I read, it said he only wanted to play a used car salesman. And he wouldn't audition for any other part. So he turned it down. <laughs> now he, he's a notorious weird guy too, right? Crispin Glover. So I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but yeah, that either way, the, either one of those would have been pretty interesting. And then of course you've got like emo Phillips that pops up. Uh, you know, these are like, I think some of these people were just kind of in weird Al circles, you know, just kind of that weird eccentric a part of the, comedy. the alt comedy scene. At yeah. The time. Yeah. Yeah, because if you've ever seen Emo Phillips, you'll definitely describe that as alt comedy. Yeah, it's some weird, it's some weird stuff. You know, like it's funny. It's just odd. You know, it's it's definitely yeah. not the kind of comedy that's for everybody. And that, but once again, you, get, you. you know, that's that's weird out for you. What is it? Hey, why it's buttercup? Popcorn, add some butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter crunched buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. It beats all the rest. 
For you listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I went over to Audible, and uh, I didn't see anything that, inter- that interested me right away with Weird Al. So I just typed in History of Television to see what would come up since we were talking about UHF and everything. And we've got a handful of things here. We've got Television, Innovation, Disruption, and the World's Most Powerful Medium. Uh, that one is over almost nine and a half hours long by Seth Shapiro. Uh, top of the rock inside the rise and fall of must see TV. So that, that's fairly interesting. Like that, that eighties and nineties, uh, NBC era of must see TV by Warren Littlefield, TR Pearson. That one's almost nine hours long. And then of course we've got live from New York an uncensored history of Saturday night live. So if you're a fan of SNL and uh, comedy and whatnot. And if you're listening to this, you probably are at least on some level that might interest you. That one's by Tom Shells, and James Andrew Miller, almost, well, a little over eight and a half hours long. So lots of other uh, things that pop up here when you just type in history of television. But of course you can type in just about anything on audible and you'll find something about it. So uh, if any of that interests you, you can download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash book show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash book show for your free audiobook. So now let me hop back on over to IMDb, look for the plot summary, and see what it. This should be interesting for UHF, right? Okay, we've got we've only got oh, two. Yeah. The, the brief one, and then we got a longer one. The brief one is an unemployed visionary becomes the manager of a local TV station. The station becomes a success with all sorts of hilarious sight gags and wacky humor. Now the longer one was posted by MGM UA Home Video. George Newman is a daydreamer whose hyperactive imagination keeps him from holding a steady job. His uncle decides George would be the perfect man to manage Channel 62, a television station which is losing money and viewers fast. When George replaces the station's reruns with bizarre programs such as Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse, Wheel of Fish, and Raul's Wild Kingdom, ratings begin to soar again. Mean-spirited and cynical mogul R.J. Fletcher becomes furious that the UHF station is getting better ratings than his network's programming. Because of gambling debts, the uncle is forced to consider selling the station to Fletcher, who would only too happily shut it down. He cannot legally own two stations in the same town. George and his friends organize a 48-hour telethon to raise the money by selling investment stock from Channel 62 to save the town's new favorite station. I did find it interesting that they actually did point out the uh, what the duopoly rules where you can't, you know, like one entity can't own two TV stations in the market. Right. I thought it was smart of them to actually put that in there because... <clears throat> You could have just said, well, fuck this station. I'm buying it to shut it down. But they actually gave you a legitimate reason reason as to why he would want to do that. You know? Right, right. As opposed to, yeah, I'm, I'm the bad guy. And that's yeah, what I yeah, do. Yeah, I'm just going to buy it because fuck y'all. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently uh, Weird Al described this movie in a promotional thing at some point as a cross between the son of Flubber, <laughs> okay. Sophie's Choice, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> well, that's about right from Weird Al himself. I, I'd say right out the gates, though, man. Like it's like it was almost like comfort food seeing that Orion Pictures logo, right? It's almost like when you see Canon Films or something. Like something about when you see those old logos from like the stuff that we watched growing up. It's like, oh yeah, here we go. You know, <laughs> it's so familiar. And I can't tell you why. Maybe maybe it was made by it, but for some reason, I always think of. Uh, a uh, RoboCop when I see that, uh, that logo pop up. It may I don't have, know why it may have been. I mean, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't remember who did the original RoboCop. Hold on. Let me see real quick. Uh, yeah, it was, it was distributed by Orion. So there you go. Okay. That's why. 
Makes sense. But real after that though, like when you know, once it, it gets started, you you dive right into a uh almost a damn shot for shot remake spoof of Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The beginning of it. Yeah. Where Indiana Jones is, you know, uh going through the the caves or whatever this this lost cavern or whatever to get that golden statue and he has to weigh the bag of sand or whatever and put it on there and then he has to run away in the ball and all that stuff. It's almost shot for shot except Weird Al style, right? <laughs> yeah. I love that when he's he's got the whip and he that one guy he just whips that dude's arm straight the fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and not to completely jump ahead, but like my girls didn't even acknowledge when that happened. Mm-hmm. But when the uh, Conan the Librarian pops up and slices the dude in half, <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't believe that. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I remembered the Conan the Librarian bit, but I'd forgot that he just like chopped that dude in half with the sword. That's the <laughs> for some reason that's the part that I'd forgot. What do you think about the Twinkie Wiener sandwich? I remember even being a kid, like, ugh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty nasty. And then didn't he, like, dip it in coffee or something like that? Uh, I don't remember that. I just remember he, like, basically took a Twinkie, split it in half, then put, like, a cold hot dog wiener in the middle of it, and then put <laughs> easy, some cheese whiz. Yeah, like, some easy cheese on top. Ugh. Like, you know what? <laughs> Wait, he I'm offers like- it. He offers it to his friend, but his friend never eats it. Yeah. And then the next shot, he's, like, uh, sitting there in a different room, and here comes Weird Al eating it. <laughs> But he, I'm almost positive he dipped it in something before he, he put it in his mouth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he probably did. I just I just forgot about that part, but or I wasn't paying attention. But, um, you know, I might, might, would give something like that a try if it weren't a cold hot dog wiener. Like, yeah. if you at least cook the wiener, I might consider it, you know, taking a bite of it, you know, just as a jokey kind of thing. But it's the cold wiener thing that gets me like, no, nope, no, nope, I don't need the old cold hot dog wieners. I'm out. <laughs> which I guess that's the whole point, right? Is just to gross you out. Like nobody would actually eat this damn thing. Right. It's almost like a, a Pee Wee Herman kind of gag, you know, like <laughs> this type of thing. <laughs> but his weird Al's uncle wins the TV station, um, in a poker game. So he, I guess he just doesn't know what to do with it or care. And it just so happens that weird Al or, you know, George, the character in the movie, he's there at this party where he's kind of down in the mouth about losing his jobs and everything. And his aunt's just like, here, just, uh, I got somebody that can run the station for you. And he just gets gifted a TV station. <laughs> how awesome would it be? I mean, not just the premise of this, right. But how awesome would it be if there was really, really was a TV station that aired this kind of stuff? You can't tell me you wouldn't watch this. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, if you're, if their if their daily lineup was this insane shit in this movie, I think everybody <laughs> would watch the fuck out of this thing. If nothing else, just to oh, see yeah. what's going to happen. It, yeah, it, uh, I think. I think there's a uh, certain collection of college kids that would be all over it at least. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I honestly, it's almost to the point where it's like, I'm surprised no one's ever really attempted it. Maybe it's like an FCC thing or something like they don't want to lose their license. So they don't go that far, but on some level you would think someone would want to attempt something close to this, especially nowadays with uh internet, you know, like just being able to literally produce your own, I mean, we kind of do it here on the Spook Show, right? Not only do we produce podcasts, but we produce three monthly videos at least over on YouTube every month. So, like, it's not out of the realm if you put a little money into, you know, if you got a little money behind it and you could actually do something even a little bit higher budget than we do. It's not out of the realm to kind of have your own network, right, of just stupid yeah. shit on <laughs> on YouTube. So it's kind of surprising. <laughs> I guess it kind of is like that in a way, but 
It's it's almost surprising that no one has ever truly attempted exactly what they did here. Yeah, well, <laughs> I did read that uh, when they set up the uh, the room for House of Fish or Will of Fish, mm-hmm. uh, they set it up at like four o'clock in the morning. I want to say. And then they didn't tape until like six o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and those, uh, by the way, I did see those were those are real fish. Yeah, those aren't fake, <laughs> fake ass fish. Those are fucking real. <laughs> oh, red snapper! <laughs> <laughs> Very tasty. That that guy Getty Watanabe yeah. that was in everything. So I t- actually took a screenshot of like there's that one scene where he like you know now now they're kind of successful with all these wacky ass shows. So he's kind of mo- manu- you know maneuvering the uh, the the line the TV lineup on the board. So I took a screenshot of that just to name off some of the things that are on that board. <laughs> of course, every night Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse, but you also have Wheel of Fish, You Bet Your Pink Slip, Wide World of Tractor Pulls, Leave It to Bigfoot, of course Raul's Wild Kingdom we referred to, uh, Beat the Lone Shark, Name That Stain, <laughs> the li- <laughs> the Lice is Right. That's disgusting. Buddha knows best. The Flying Pope. Uh, Secrets of the Universe. Wonderful World of Phlegm. And that's like a two-hour block. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Young and the Dyslexic. <laughs> here's here's one of my personal favorites. Bestiality Today. <laughs> Dog Racing from Rio de Janeiro. And then my favorite, the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's normal or uh, wacky except for that. Beverly Hillbillies is on the on the thing. I'm telling you, dude, like I would totally watch that fucking channel. <laughs> Not stop. Back then. Well, and and then, today. They, then they had the, uh, the volcano worshiping hour or something like that. Wasn't yeah, that one of the shows it was somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, apparently that was based on uh weird Al um, started a group in high school just to get in the yearbook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the volcano worshipers or something like that. I think the whole, the entire way they set this movie up and the narrative of it was as simple as possible because it really was, if you think about it, just a vehicle for them to do these, these goofy commercials and spoofs that they sporadically just kind of throw in there, you know, like, like, like the Gandhi two trailer or the, um, Conan, the the librarian, uh, stuff, you know, like, and then when it randomly just devolves into one of his music videos, the Battle of the Jed Clampett, the Beverly Hillbillies thing, remember? Like, it's just yeah. all of a sudden, like, yeah. you're just watching a Weird Al video, you know? <laughs> so I think that's why it's as loose as possible story-wise, just so they can, it it would make sense for them to throw this shit in there. And I think they even... It's, so, go ahead. It's a vehicle for a skit show. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. And the fact, like, like you know, basically they're like, how do they explain it? Uh, he has a wild imagination. So, so he just randomly kind of drifts off and all of a sudden this is what you're, you know, you're watching his dreams or whatever, you know, his, his wild imagination. So that's all the explanation you need. Like you get the spatula city commercial, <laughs> just a place for nothing, but where you can buy spatulas. <laughs> that's it. And the guy spatula for that special moment. Yeah. And then the guy at the end's like, uh, he loves spatula so much. He, he bought the business. <laughs> so now he's got multiple <laughs> spatula cities everywhere. Emo Phillips in this, I mean, it's a very small part, but it's a memorable part. Oh, yeah. Where Did he's, you look at that? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, is my face red. He, he's literally just showing him how to do something on a table saw or something and just whacks off a couple yeah. of his fingers right on the table saw, and then he's just bleeding everywhere. 
I remember when I'm like nine, 10, 11 years old watching us like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> but, but still laughing your ass off. Yeah. Even when that happened though, like I, like as I was watching it this time, I was sitting there watching his hands cause I knew what was coming mm-hmm. and like those fingers were nowhere near yeah. <laughs> the, the table saw. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, I went to uh, agriculture in high school, mm-hmm. uh, took a class with somebody that did that for real. Wow. Like took off the fingers. Yeah. Good Lord. Took off a finger. Yeah. Damn. I don't remember yeah. ever hearing anything like that when I was going to school, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I wonder if they yeah. even still do that. To the, I guess they still do. Right. I, I don't know. I would assume so. I can't, you know, neither of my kids are old enough to like get to the shop age yet. So I don't know if they, if that's still a thing. I would imagine now it has to be like, you know, upper class high schoolers that they would even allow near that stuff. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like the, uh, the blind guy doing the Rubik's cube and he's got the bum next to him. Like, is that it? Nope. Is that it? Nope. nope. <laughs> that bum is awesome too. Like, and he comes into play oh, yeah. at the end, but like, I think there was something about the bum too in the casting. Like they had somebody else in mind and then they landed on that guy just because he was so over the top, you know, just the way the guy sounded and looked, they were just like, no, this is the guy, but we've got this other guy. Nope. This is the guy. <laughs> <laughs> just take a look at him. Oh, now I remember who it was. It was fucking Ginger Baker from, you know, the, the, uh, from the band cream, Mm -hmm. like the classic, you know, uh, fucking drummer, Ginger Baker. (laughs) I guess he, (laughs) he wanted to do it, but they're like, nah, nah, we got this dude. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) Which I guess was probably the best call, but still that's hilarious. You get to drink from the fire hose, that kid. Yeah. (laughs) It just blows him across the, (laughs) But essentially what this is, the, you know, we described the synopsis, the plot of the movie is they have this wacky station. It actually, because of this over the top programming, they're actually able to beat the big dog in town. So this guy's like, no, I can't have this. So he makes a deal with, uh, George's uncle to buy the station for what? $75,000 because that's how much his uncle needed to pay off some gambling debt. <laughs> I looked that guy too, as like, uh, Dr. Claw and inspector gadget. He's got the twist off hand. <laughs> He's just, I'm going to need that $75,000 by the by 40, yeah. 48 hours. And, <laughs> and he's putting on a meat cleaver on his hand. Um, but th- that's essentially the, the plot is he, you know, this guy's like, well, I'll give you the money. You know, you can pay this guy off. But then he decides to give George a chance to raise $75,000 so he could own it. And, you know, and then they can keep doing their wacky channel. Right. Well, essentially, that's the way it ends up happening is they are able to, uh, have like a telethon, um, and raise almost $75,000 until they, they're literally like around two grand, a little under two grand short. Then that bum shows back up and is like, uh, here, I want all the shares. Cause that's how they decided to raise the money is they sell shares of the station to everybody. I think it's like one share is $10. So if they sell 7,500 shares, they'll get the money that they need. So the guy's like, Hey, whatever, uh, whatever you got left, I've got $2,000 right here. And then of course that's, that's the right amount of money to make it work. They buy the station. Everybody's happy. So that's essentially what the movie is. But like, it's to me, it's one of those movies that just needs to be witnessed because of, it's almost like, um, airplane in a way, because there's so many gags flying at you. Like you could sit here all night you know, and not mention everything that happens in this movie. So you got the highlights like at the beginning with the Indiana Jones spoof at the end with the Rambo spoof. <laughs> that's some yeah. of the, that's some of the best shit too, because like he, he 
blows a dude up point blank with an arrow. I mean, like he's like what five foot away from the guy. <laughs> Bow and oh, arrow. and then the guy's mm. like shooting a handgun at him again, five foot away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then he shoots him, and then uh, he catches the bullet in his teeth, and then spits like a machine gun, like chews it up and spits it out. It's like, you know, like a machine gun and the dude blows up and there's just random dudes blowing up. Like I ain't talking about like they just lean over and die. I'm talking about explosion city. Like they blow up. (laughs) And then you get the weird scene at the end of Philo, the guy, you know, the, the, the guy, the the wacky scientist guy who's been helping him at the station. Turns out he's an alien. (laughs) He said, well, the entire time. Yeah. My time here is done. And then he turns around and like I said, it's like large Marge. His face just goes. And then first three eyes, all claymation. (laughs) And, uh, he gets teleported off to space and that's, that's pretty much it. Other than the fact that they find a way to kick, uh, RJ Fletcher, you know, the bad guy in the balls about 18 times, you know, like I'm not talking about literally (laughs) kick him in the balls. I'm talking about like everything that could possibly go wrong for this guy, you know, well, you think he's dispatched. Then he comes back and they find another way to fuck him. You know, <laughs> they, all the way down to like stripping him of his FCC license to run his own station. You know, like every way you could possibly defeat this dude other than kill him. They do. So very satisfying end to a, it's a goofy over the top cheesy movie, but I, I think it's a great, uh, time capsule type of flick too. in a, in a lot of ways, you know, I guess without, you know, without all that out of the way, I guess we'll go ahead and get into our rating. All right, so UHF, um, you know, Michael Richards, you, you can you can see the Kramer mannerisms, uh, even in a, you know, more extreme sense. But uh, uh, Stanley Spadowski is, you know, such a memorable uh, character from this one. Um, the Rambo scenes are actually my favorite. Uh, the best, in my opinion, along with Conan the Librarian. Um, overall, there there are some you know some scenes just as funny as I remember them being. Uh, and although I do remember liking this a, a lot more than you know when I was a kid, than I you know well now as an adult, it's still a pretty good time. Um, and you know I would I would watch this. I, I mean, obviously I'll watch it again. Um, uh, you know, it, if it came on, but, or, you know, if I saw it on, so, uh, that's going to reflect in my rating of uh three and a quarter stars. So what do you say? Oh, I'm going five stars, five stars. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it's hard to argue for what it is. I mean, I, I'm not going to go quite that high just because, you know, like as far as cult corner is concerned, I could definitely see it. You know, like I can't quite put this though on the level of like Goodfellas, you know, if you're just comparing it to other cult corner movies, but I think for what it is, it's a fucking blast, you know? So I'm not going to go five, but I'm going to say four. It's one of those that, you know, you would definitely watch, you could watch over and over again. And Lord knows I have. Yeah. This movie takes me back to being a kid. So I couldn't, I couldn't justify not doing five stars on this one. So you give it five, I give it four. And then Donnie gives it three and a quarter. So, uh, and like I said, we'll get Smoke and Tiana's thoughts. Uh, first chance they get to come back on the show. We'll get their thoughts and their ratings. Donnie, where's the cult connections? Come out and play. All right. So uh, with uh, Crypt Connections, what we do is we connect the 
uh, current movie episode by any cast or crew connections to past Spook Show episodes. So for UHF, um, we've got um, on the cast side, we've got Fran Drescher, uh, who plays um, Pamela Finkelstein. She was also in Spinal Tap when we covered that in, back in uh, uh, for Cult Corner. We've also got Kevin McCarthy, who plays uh, R.J. Fletcher. He was also in The Howling, which we covered, you know, uh, back, I think it was uh, Summer of the Wolf. Um, also, Billy Barty plays Noodles. Uh, he was also in uh, Masters of the Universe when we covered that with uh, Cannon Fodder. And John Paragon, who plays Richard Fletcher, like uh, R.J. Fletcher's son. And we just covered him as well in, in the uh, uh, for Cannon Fodder's uh, The Frog Prince. Um, so that's the cast side. Um, and also on the crew side, we've got makeup effects artist Alan Apone. Um, he also did the makeup effects for The Return of the Living Dead, X-Ray, also known as Hospital Massacre, and Snakes on a Plane. But, you know, it's cold corner, so we don't do all the uh, the other jazz. I guess that pretty much put a bow on it then, so for this one. It's, it's a hell of a fun movie to watch. If you're any kind of fan of Weird Al, you've probably already seen it. But if you haven't, what the hell's wrong with you? Go seek it out. You can buy it now. It's a lot easier to access. You can buy it on uh, Blu-ray. Then they did come out with a 25th anniversary edition a handful of years ago on Blu-ray. There are VHS and DVDs out there, though. The VHS, I think, is still kind of hard to find. But I, as of the recording of this, I believe uh, you could watch it on Amazon Prime and some other places. So it's it's out there. You know, it's not a extremely hard thing to find. So I would encourage you to go check it out. Go track it down and watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. So it's a weird way to kind of kick off the holiday season for us, watching UHF. But here we are. <laughs> it's kind of the <laughs> fate of the wheel spin landed us here. So next month, uh, or I'm sorry. Well, it is next month, but it's next week as well. Our December 4th episode, episode 189, even though we're kind of heading into the holiday season, it was Donnie's choice in our rotation, and he did not pick a holiday film. He decided to go with a a much bigger horror flick, and boy, you couldn't have another polar opposite movie from UHF than this. He chose Hereditary, which came out in, what was that, 2018, I believe it was? So, yeah, Two polar opposite, completely different types of movies altogether here between UHF and Hereditary. So we will get into that next week. And then, uh, you know, all the Christmas stuff's right around the corner. So for Smoke and Tiana, Donnie and Will, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show, and we will talk to you next week for Hereditary. <laughs>